All right, we are back. Let's talk about the piece by Ryan Devereaux titled Managing a Nightmare, How the CIA Watched Over the Destruction of Gary Webb. Noted Devereaux, 18 years after it was published, Dark Alliance remains one of the most explosive and controversial exposés in American journalism. The 20,000-word series enraged black communities, prompted congressional hearings, and became one of the first major national security stories in history to blow up online. It also sparked an aggressive backlash from the nation's most powerful media outlets, which devoted considerable resources to discredit author Gary Webb's reporting. Their efforts succeeded, costing Webb his career. On December 10, 2004, the journalist was found dead in his apartment, having ended his eight-year downfall with two 38 caliber bullets to the head. And I I do want to say a word about that. Uh, We spoke with Michael Rupert, a former L.A. cop and one who also investigated this matter of... uh, crack cocaine trafficking in some detail. We've had him on this program more than once. Sadly, Mr. Rupert took his own life last year. But he did note that there is nothing suspicious about Gary Webb's suicide. It was really a suicide. Uh, People will routinely fail to complete the act with the first shot and then, you know, try again. The piece by Devereaux said, These days, Webb is being cast in a more sympathetic light. He's portrayed heroically in a major motion picture set to premiere nationwide this weekend. And documents newly released by the CAA provide fresh context to the Dark Alliance saga, information that paints an ugly portrait of the mainstream media at the time. (laughs) We're not sure the phrase at the time is appropriate. But he goes on. On September 18th, the agency released a trove of documents spanning three decades of secret government operations. Culled from the agency's in-house journal, Studies in Intelligence, The materials included a previously unreleased six-page article titled Managing a Nightmare, CIA Public Affairs and the Drug Conspiracy Story. Looking back on the weeks immediately following the publication of Dark Alliance, the document offers a unique window into the CIA's internal reaction to what it called, quote, a genuine public relations crisis, end quote, while rejoicing in how little the agency ultimately had to do to swiftly extinguish the public outcry. Thanks in part to what author Nicholas Dujmovic, a CIA director of intelligence staffer at the time of publication, describes as, quote, a ground base of already productive relations with journalists. The CIA's public affairs officers watched with relief as the largest newspapers in the country rescued the agency from disaster and in the process destroyed the reputation of an aggressive award-winning reporter. And we love this quote from the piece. Dujmovic complained that Webb's stories, quote, appeared with no warning, unquote, remarking that for all his journalistic credentials, quote, he apparently could not come up with a widely available and well-known telephone number for CIA public affairs, unquote. He went on to say this is probably because Webb, quote, was uninterested in anything the agency might have to say that would diminish the impact of his series. Well, yeah, that seems fair enough, doesn't it? We realize there's a fair amount of repetition in today's program, but uh, the details here, I think, sometimes take a little extra time to sink in. And from this piece, we would remind you that a special Senate subcommittee chaired by then-Senator John Kerry investigated the Associated Press findings, the work of Robert Perry and Brian Barger, and in 1989, it released a 1,166-page report on covert U.S. operations throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. It found quote, considerable evidence, unquote, that the Contras were linked to running drugs and guns and that the U.S. government knew about it. And also, apparently there's gambling going on here. The piece by Devereaux goes on to note, 
Despite such damning assessments, the subcommittee report received scant attention from the country's major newspapers. Seven years later, Webb would be the one to pick up the story. His articles distinguished themselves from the AP's reporting in part by connecting an issue that seemed distant to many U.S. readers, drug trafficking in Central America, to a deeply felt domestic story, the impact of crack cocaine in California's urban African-American communities. Dark Alliance focused on the lives of three men involved in shipping cocaine to the U.S. Freeway Ricky Ross, the legendary L.A. drug dealer. Oscar Danilo Blandon Reyes, considered by the U.S. government to be Nicaragua's biggest cocaine dealer living in the U.S. And Meneses Contrero, a powerful Nicaraguan player who allegedly recruited Blandon to sell drugs in support of the counter-revolution. The series examined the relationship between the men, their impact on the drug market in California and elsewhere and the disproportionate sentencing of African-Americans under crack cocaine laws. We're very much looking forward to seeing this movie. Jeremy Renner is a good actor, and one could scarcely uh, imagine a more explosive story for the big screen. Again, we hope this can be an Oliver Stone echo and that can really get people talking about this. We know that legendary uh, deep politics investigator Peter Dale Scott is going to uh, take in this movie on the weekend, and we may try to bring Peter on to talk about some of the details. All right, we've only got a few minutes left in this program. We need to wrap this up and hopefully do it on a bit of a high note, if possible. In effort to be a little more complete, I do want to note that uh, Carla Meyer wrote on the October 7th issue of The Bee a wonderful piece about this movie, or more specifically, how this movie reflects reality. We can recommend that to you highly. I'd like to add one uh, little item before we leave these topics today. Uh, Michael Levine mentioned Porter Goss of the CIA as one of the villains in his description of what went down relative to the um, drug situation in Central America. Curiously enough, Porter Goss was also the guy that turned up in our talk with Gary Bernson years ago about his book Jawbreaker. Bernson, the CIA, and some of its, uh, I guess, Northern Alliance allies in Afghanistan had Osama bin Laden penned up at Tora Bora, and when he requested 7,000 Army Rangers to capture him, he was turned down and ordered back to the United States. He was not debriefed. He thought that was highly unusual, and so did we, even though we're not uh, intelligence operatives. But uh, when we talked about this story of Gary Webb 10 years ago, I quoted from his essay, which appears in Into the Buzzsaw. In that piece, Mr. Webb's writing skills are on display. But I think to do it justice, I need to read from it more than we have time for today. Therefore, we're going to end with an obituary. And for this, we also have Melinda Welsh to thank. She noted the passing of Fred Bronfman. And the story of Mr. Bronfman is one I think we should close with because it does provide us with some inspiration. The Vietnam War was raging when Fred Bronfman went to Laos in 1967 as an international aid worker. Determined to immerse himself in the society, he lived with an elderly villager, learned to speak Laotian, and became a translator. In time, he met Laotians who told him something startling. There was a second war in their country, a secret American bombing campaign that was devastating remote villages. The revelation led him to take up a new mission when his term as an aid worker for the nonprofit organization International Voluntary Services ended in the summer of 1969. That was to bring attention to what became known as the Secret War. It had gone on for years. Air Force bombers attacked parts of Laos controlled by the communist North Vietnamese, killing thousands of Laotian civilians. But it had been invisible to most Americans. Bronfman, who was 72 when he died September 24th, became one of the first to expose the air war, 
publicly challenging accounts by United States officials who had initially denied the bombing campaign and later insisted that it did not target civilian areas. In Laos, Mr. Bronfman took foreign officials and journalists into bombed villages and wrote freelance articles about the campaign. In 1971, he returned to the United States where he helped start two influential anti-war groups, Project Air War and the Indochina Resource Center. They lobbied Congress to stop financing the war. That same year, he testified before Congress opposite William H. Sullivan, the American ambassador to Laos from 1964-1969 and one of the overseers of the bombing campaign. Mr. Sullivan, who died last year, told Congress that Mr. Bronfman and others had exaggerated the issue. Mr. Bronfman and another opponent of the war, Representative Paul McCloskey, a Republican from California, testified that Sullivan and the government had concealed the campaign. The next year, Mr. Bronfman provided stark documentation in a book he edited titled Voices from the Plain of Jars, Life Under an Air War. It told of people fleeing the bombardment and hiding in caves for years. According to reports at the time, at least 2 million tons of bombs were dropped from 1967 to 1973. Nearly a ton for every person in Laos. And I think we should pause there to note that um, this bombing militarily was not particularly effective. Yet the Times notes that in 1976, Graham Martin, the last ambassador to South Vietnam, bitterly blamed anti-war groups for the U.S.'s failure to prevent the fall of Saigon. Calling the anti-war campaign one of the best propaganda and pressure organizations the world has ever seen, he singled out one in particular, the Indochina Resource Center. Although I have to admit, I'm not a military man, I don't have any expertise when it comes to fighting a war, but I have flown over Laos and looked down from the window of the plane to see trees and grass. And I thought of that statistic, that Laos is the world's most bombed country. And wonder whether the whole thing was an effort to achieve some real military objectives or just a way for some people to make a lot of dough. And I gotta tell you, I have my suspicions, it's the latter. I would note in closing that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But we would strongly urge you, dear listener, to pay great attention to the opinions you heard voiced today on this program, as much or more so than any program we've ever aired. We also want to refer you in closing to our previous interview with Pete McCloskey, telling the same story about how he helped uncover this secret bombing campaign in Laos and stop it. Our thanks to Tom Walsh, Michael Levine, Robert Perry, and Gary Webb. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. We expect to have some follow-up on this on next week's show. I know our pal Gary Chu wants to give us a, um, a movie review of this film. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax.